What is up, you guys, and welcome back to another episode of Verluminati, the podcast where we drink beer and talk about conspiracy theories. My name is John. And this is Jake. And today, I am going to tell you a story. In 1917, a Swiss-Austrian teacher was sitting with his family. They were discussing his teaching career when he just fell over like he was asleep. His friends and family rushed to his side and tried to wake him, but no luck. They took him to the hospital, where since it was 1917, they poked his bare feet with hot needles or whatever they did to make people wake (laughs) up. But again, no luck. He slept for 15 days and woke up like nothing had happened. Four years later, Paul is mid-conversation and just nods off like he was taking a nap. Everyone smacks him around a bit and then takes him to the hospital for more foot pokings. But again, no luck. They figure he has blood demons or poor humors and figure they'll just give him cocaine when he wakes up. They set out the coke pills, but Paul just keeps on sleeping. Days pass, and they install a feeding tube so he doesn't starve to death. Then weeks pass, then months, then an entire year comes and goes with Paul asleep in his bed in the hospital, withering away. Then, suddenly, Paul wakes up like nothing had happened. He gathers up his hospital stuff and bolts, refusing to discuss what he experienced and gets angry at anyone who asks. Today, on Verluminati, we are going to talk about Paul Amadeus Dinoc, the man who fell asleep in 1921 and woke up occupying the body of some poor schmuck in 3906. Dun, dun, dun. That was, I have chills. I literally have chills. That was absolutely amazing. You can call me George Orwell. <laughs> the narrator has arrived, ladies and gentlemen. I am the radio man. Oh, yeah, that was great. So, yeah, that's what we're talking about. But first, let's talk about what we're drinking. All right. What do you got over there, John? I have a follow-up Uh-oh. to a beer that I talked about previously. I am back with its, I guess you would say... It's slightly less attractive cousin. <laughs> <laughs> so not success. I thought you were going to go with successor. But no, no. no. I would say like, all right. Just ugly cousin. Yeah. So what I'm talking about is previously on an earlier episode, I talk about Wicked Weeds, Cherry Key Lime Burst Session Sour. Yes. And now I have its cousin. I guess we'll say. And this is the raspberry starfruit burst session sour. All right. We'll break it down. And before I get into how either unattractive or attractive <laughs> this cousin is, <laughs> although we know the answer already, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, let's talk about the can. All right. So it's another 12 ounce can. It's like a deep navy blue kind of can. It has raspberries. 
different colored raspberries. There's like pink raspberries and there's dark raspberries. It's very confusing. <laughs> and then there's these yellow and orange. I can only assume these are star fruits. Um, Have you not seen a star fruit? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But it's uh, four and a half percent. So right in that session sour. Yeah. Right in that session sour kind of range. And this is the ugly friend. It is. It is. It's like when you go to that family reunion and there's the hot cousin and then there's like the dumpy cousin. (laughs) (laughs) The cherry key lime burst session sour is the hot cousin and this one is the dumpy cousin. Okay. It's good. Sure. It is nothing to write home about. Not not in my opinion. I mean, this is good. It's not nearly as good as the other one. Like I thought the other one... The cherry key lime one was great. It had this really great like cherry limeade fizzy thing going on. It was like kind of sour. It was kind of sweet. And this one's just kind of meh. It's okay. fine. It's 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 okay. It's just going to be fine. I don't get a ton of raspberry. I don't even know what fucking star fruit tastes like. <laughs> but I can't imagine this is bursting with star fruit. It's a little citrusy. Star fruit's a little citrusy. I don't know. It's no, so just you're not getting any citrus. I don't know. Well, hold on. All right, here we go. He's taking a sip and drinking, drinking, smacking the lips, wiping the beard clean. It is a worse version <laughs> of Trophy's oh. raspberry tart pop. Oh, okay. I can see that. That is what I would say because I don't know what Tara Starfruit tastes like, but this just straight up tastes like flat cran raspberry juice. Okay, I can see that. You know what I mean? Yeah, Wicked Weed's usually pretty good with their stuff. Yeah, I feel like they needed like another one. And this is the one that they kind of like came up with. sampler pack? Yeah, but it's just not as good. The sequel is not as good. Do you know the only movie franchise where number two is better than number one? No. Aliens. Ooh. Yeah. Aliens was definitely better than Aliens. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. For a second there, I thought Ninja Turtles 2. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> no, there, it's a name. It's uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the Use. And for a second there, I thought that. But then I was like, Secret of the Use is definitely good. It's great. I would not say it's better than the first one. I would say one and two are equal. They are just as good. They are great for different reasons. Okay. Number three is worse, but not bad. Just worse. <laughs> are these the animated ones? Or no, the, they're the live actions. The 90s ones. Yeah. Okay. yeah oh, yeah. man, I okay. loved them. I love those. I have all of them. On, I'm sure I've seen them. I just, they're not the front of my brain. I have them on VHS and DVD. Somebody burned me a VHS with the, the Teenage Ninja, Ninja, the Teenage Ninja Mutant Turtles. Wrong. Sh- movies on there. Wait, did I do it wrong? Yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's, there there it is. Go. Okay. <laughs> Those. But there was also at the end was um, that MTV cartoon with uh, Eon Flux. Eon Flux was the last half of the VHS tape. And that completely blew my damn mind and was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. I don't even know what you're talking about. You don't about. know what Eon Flux is. Well, first of all, they made a movie about it that wasn't very good. Yeah, so I saw that and it was horrible. Garbage. So before that, when MTV did Liquid Television, you remember that? Nope. Uh, 
go watch <laughs> all of that immediately. Okay. Uh, Liquid Television was absolutely amazing. Okay. But they used to end it with, I'm sure it's all on YouTube now, but they used to end it with these little shorts that were called Eon Flux. And it was basically like this weird, skinny, Frenchly drawn assassin woman who would go and like kill these guys and like use her strangely contortioning tongue to slip pills into places. And wow, it was bizarre. It was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen in my life at that point. Weirder than Ren and Stimpy. So much weirder than Ren and Stimpy. Like oh it made God. Ren and Stimpy look like Teletubbies. I hated Ren and Stimpy because of how like schizophrenic it was. Yeah. No, I this hated was, that era of cartoons. Yeah. To be totally this was honest. like, this was French animation. It was really different at the time. Okay. Weird. You just have to, Okay, I'm tonight when I get home, I'm going to find there's got to be a YouTube channel that has all these on there. Okay. I'm going to find these. I'm going to send you like a super cut of Eon Flux. Okay. And your brain is going to implode. Okay. And it's crazy. I'm it's down. Really, yeah. Hopefully anyone listening has heard this before and reaches out and be like, yes, that's amazing. Because I mean, <laughs> like a good chunk of my childhood was staying up until two o'clock in the morning to catch these three second things because it was so liquid television was it was like an every I don't know Friday night Saturday night whatever TV show on MTV and it would come on super super late at night and the last thing they did was always Eon Flux and so it could be 30 seconds long or it could be seven minutes and it was always this weird it was kind of like waiting around for the Marvel end credit scenes. Oh, yeah, yeah. You never know what you're going to get. It's just yeah. really bizarre. But could it could be something great. It could be Nick Fury going mother f- and then yeah, and then that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like <laughs> this told like this bigger story of this like woman fighting this gigantic like, you know, futuristic tyrannical cor- corporation slash government. Right. But she was in love with the leader of it. And so they were trying to kill each other and cloning each other and doing these really weird things and it, weird. It was bizarre. You have to just experience it. And chances are somebody has got them all and strung them together into one. Somebody has to. Yeah. Yeah. It it was very much, you know, at the same time I was watching The Max. Did you ever watch that? No. Oh, I got to send you all these too. So The Max was a comic book done by Sam Keith. Okay. And it's one of the best comics ever made. Okay. This was one of the guys who he drew some of the best Batmans and some of the best Wolverines, but his, his original comic called The Max was just out of control amazing it was about a superhero who was like this homeless guy but he might have been a monster and he lived with this woman who was a caseworker and you didn't know if they were all schizophrenic and crazy or what was going on and it was just absolute insanity all the way and even when it ended you had no idea what just happened and that, those were my favorite kind of like cartoons of the time and the comic books of the time this is like mid 90s where you didn't know if you were crazy or if it was fun or if everybody else was crazy and you didn't get answers to it. You know, nowadays they wrap everything up. You could put a little bow yeah. on it. I need the bow. Ah, I don't give a shit about the bow. I just well, see, to I was weird. always so into you know? anime. Like I yeah. stayed up late to watch Toonami and I stayed up late yeah. to watch like the anime at midnight. Yep. Did you ever watch those? Yeah, I saw some. Yeah. That And that's when the stuff like Ninja Scroll and yeah. Tank Police and... Yeah. Shadow City, Shintaku, or whatever that movie is, and like Akira, and like that yeah. kind of stuff would yeah. play. And that's what I wanted to stay up and watch. I wanted to watch Gundam. I wanted to watch Ronin Warriors. <laughs> I wanted to watch fucking Vampire Hunter D. Yeah. That's what I wanted to stay up late and watch. And then my parents would always walk in at a really horrible time when somebody of was course. like getting stabbed against a wall and blood was spraying everywhere. And they'd be like, oh my God, turn that garbage off. <laughs> ah! 
Yeah, I could I could see my mom doing it right now, having that oh my god face and like just like freaking out. No, I was I would stay up and I would watch Yo MTV Raps and then they did and <laughs> Yo then they did, MTV Raps. Yeah, and then they did I forgot what they did after that and then they would have these like weird cartoon shows and they would be really late and this was pre Ren and Stimpy, you know. I just never really watched MTV that much. I don't think you were alive when this was happening. Like I was 89, 90, like early nineties to mid nineties. I was drooling on myself. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it was a crazy time. Like listen. I'm in eight, I'm in 88. Okay. I'm going to send you. I mean, I still watch like Voltron and all that kind of stuff. The early yeah. cartoons and stuff, but yeah, I don't think I was old enough to really be watching MTV. I was watching like cartoon network. And shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh man. It was crazy stuff. But speaking well, of UMTV raps, Oh, what you, are you drinking? I am drinking a hop flower. <laughs> is that what we were doing? Yeah. Speaking of Yo MTV, we were gonna, that, was a tra- that was a transition. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> so uh, I'm drinking a hop fly, which harkens back to the '90s with the Fly Girls, which is where uh, who got who got their start on the Fly Girls? Was that uh, you're asking the wrong person? I don't even know what you're talking about. J Lo, I think J Lo was a Fly Girl. Anyways, is that like the MTV version mm-hmm. of? The no. Mickey Mouse Club? No, the uh, <laughs> it's Mad Mad TV, like where Jim Carrey got started. It was like Fox Channel. Did you know that John Leguizamo was the one who started, like what became Mad TV? I can see that. It was called Wild and Out or something like that. Oh, but yeah, I can't remember. I worked for a company that represented John Leguizamo. Oh, really? And I didn't know that we did. And then one day I got a call and said, like, hey, you have to go to the storage unit and pick up 5,000 copies of this John Leguizamo CD and put him in this truck for this person because he's going to a different company. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was my entire experience with John I Leguizamo. I love him, too. He's great. Yeah. He was cool as the clown thing in Spawn. Yeah. So anyways, Hopfly. Uh, so uh, uh, Hopfly Brewing Company, which is out of Rocky Mount. And I am drinking their featherweight, which is not featherweight at all. This is a triple. The complete opposite. Is the absolute opposite. It is a heavyweight. And it is a triple IPA, which is coming in at 9.5%. Um, and it tastes like it. It tastes like 9.5%. It is a little boozy. It's a little heavy. It looks like a milkshake IPA. It's very. It's I'm looking very at deep. it. It looks straight up like juice. Yeah, it, it really is. It's it's kind of like if you mixed orange juice and pineapple juice with some sort of juice powder. It's it looks like have you ever eaten a rape culture? Yeah. Okay. Did you know that they opened a brick and mortar? Yeah, so I just saw that come across my social media recently. Okay. My on wife Glen, and I, on Glenwood, right? Yeah, my wife and I love a rape culture, which if you live in the area It's a good place. Hit it a rape culture is great. Guasaka's good too. But I like Arepa Culture more, and they have these like house-made juices, okay, in there, and then in those things where it has like the corkscrew inside sure, of it. Yeah. Is it guava? that looks exactly like the passion fruit house-made okay. juice that yeah. Guas- that um, not Guasaga Arepa, Arepa Culture. Culture it makes. tastes a little different. Yeah, I imagine it does. <laughs> <laughs> but this happens to be part of their watercolor series, which it says at the bottom. Um, and I guess the water, it's the watercolor series because the label looks like it's splashed, painted in watercolor, splashed over with watercolors with a, with a couple of pinky, purpley, whitey kind of deal fonts over it and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's okay. It's a, it's a very, very heavy IPA. I, 
as you know, I didn't look at it at first. I just saw the name Featherweight and I was like, well, that's a light one. It's a cute color and we haven't done Hot Fly yet. And <laughs> Opposite. Then I, I cracked it open. And I'm like, oh, triple IPA. Well, yeah. I guess uh, I'm going to go to Sonic or something after yeah. this. The uh, breweries are like, the brewer's like sitting back in his chair. He's like, I got you bad, fucker. <laughs> 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 yeah, but it's, um, it's, it's drinkable if you're going to have one, you know, it's sure. all right. It's it is very thick, juicy. You know, it's almost yeah. a smoothie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have tried very. There's a couple of breweries from North Carolina, which I feel like people who listen to the show just think that I'm obsessed with all the North Carolina breweries, and that is not where we true. Live. There's a bunch of them that I'm just like not into, but I try really hard. I want to like brothers. them a lot, but no, I have not tried at all the like Bond Brothers, um, but New Anthem is one I've tried really hard there in Wilmington. I've tried really hard to like their beers. I've probably tried 10 I've had a handful. or 12 yeah. of their beers. Hopfly is another one. It, they keep releasing beers that l- sound like to me, they're right up my alley. I'm going to love them. I've tried again, probably 10 or 12 of their beers and they all just like fall flat to me. And at this point I'm just not yeah. interested. Like a new hot fly comes out. I'm like, no, they kind you. of remind me a little bit of uh, Highland. Is it Highland that does the Gaelic ale? Yeah, that we talked about. Yeah, Everything they, they do is just kind of. Eh. They just they don't try very hard. Like they're not do it. Like there's nothing really cool about this label. It's just watercolor. It's and fine. It is. It's fine. Whatever. Put it on the shelf. You'll they'll probably sell it because I'm sure. Just like Bomb Brothers and just like Highland, they probably have their core users. People who love them. Yeah. 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 I know. There's like so many breweries like that that I feel like they just need to, I don't know, do better or yeah. something. Take you a know, chance. It's not their be They're successful, which is yeah. why they haven't closed yet. Like my wife and I lived in an, an area of Raleigh called five points Yeah, um, for a number of years together. And I lived in five points for a number of years before my room, yeah. before my wife okay. and I met and there's two breweries in five points that I could walk to from the house I lived in. Yeah. And I did not go to them. Which two was it? One of them is nickel point. Okay. And I want to say the other one is noose river. Oh yeah. Okay. And I, I, I mean, I've been to nickel point a ton of times. Their beers fine. I'm not going to say it's bad because it's not, it's just nothing special. Yeah. And I feel the same way about a bunch of other breweries, Raleigh, is one of them to me. Oh, like Raleigh Brewing Company? Yeah. yeah. Like where my house is, I could easily ride my bike to Raleigh Brewing Company yeah. in like what, four minutes or something like they that? They have kind of a nice spot. They've got that whole front area and stuff. Yeah. It's just nothing special to me. Yeah. When I went you there, uh, my wife does a drink beer. And so we went there and they had a couple of wines. And I asked like, hey, which one of these wines are the driest? And the guy just looked me right in the eye and said, probably one of our beers <laughs> and i was oh just like God. well that's not helpful you know yeah. maybe can you tell me and he goes i don't know man do i look like i drink wine and i was like well what do people who drink wine look like i don't know yeah <laughs> i don't know it, it, it's just weird like when i think about raleigh what i really think about is bean sprout what is that? that restaurant is right in front of raleigh brewing company oh oh okay and because it's right over here on uh, hillsborough street across from meredith Yes, I know and, what you're talking about. Uh, there's a really cool, dumpy little, like yeah. fast Chinese food spot there called Bean Sprout, and they are so good. 
Okay. I've never And been every there. time yeah. I go there, I'm just like, isn't Rowling Brewing behind you? And then I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, I don't give a shit. I'm here to get General Sal's chicken. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And that's there's also really in there. Too. Is that the spot where there's like a huge mail truck facility or something right there between those? You know, I don't know. There's something so like much that, stuff because yeah. that weird, that spot. That's a weird area. It, it is. There's like, there's a cutover on Barrel Road where you can get yes. to like Ralston Arboretum and then you yep. go across Method to get across to West. The train Road. tracks are all yeah, going And the train tracks there. are right there. NC and State's kind of there somewhere. Yeah, there's yeah. a really huge Mediterranean spot back there that my wife loves that, again, I'm not into. And I can't think of who it is right now. It's not a, is it, it's not Sassoul. It's uh, no, the, the it's other the one. other one. Yeah, yeah. They always have a truck at the fair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those uh, ones. And then it's, there's like a Waffle House right there on the corner. Yeah. And then there's a, a hookah spot. And then yep. right next to that, there's like an Indian club and coffee spot. Like a hookah club. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then next to that, there's something else. I don't know what it is. And then there's like a costume shop. And then there's a sewing <laughs> spot. And then. Which they're probably all closed now because of COVID. I know. And then there's that spot in there where there's like the Brick House Bar, which my oh. fraternity brothers used to always go to. Until the last like year or two, I had never been there. Oh, not okay. a single time, and not thrown up in their bathroom. Oh, okay. It's <laughs> not where I thought that was going, but okay. I'm completely serious. Wow. Because you were drinking that much, or <laughs> oh, okay, sure. Yes. Yeah, I had never been there a single time and not barfed in their bathroom. Huh? I've only thrown up in a in a bar club bathroom once in my life. Yeah, and like, it, it, and it was because of bad food too. No, this is because we had my fraternity had chartered mm. that weekend. See, I I have drank plenty <laughs> in bars in bars, but I usually I'm an outside puger. Yeah, I go outside. No, I get I, overheated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I could see that. The inner core works itself up to a, to a temperature. I, I think the get out of there. Yeah. I think the last time I barfed there, I barfed in the bathroom twice. Oh. And then I got on an NC State bus, and they drove us back to the fraternity house. And then I barfed on the side of the fraternity house. Nice. Like on the wall or like on the ground? On the wall. Nice. On the brick. Did you get good distance? No. It was a full on like throw the hands on the wall. Oh, uh, okay. Barfed yeah. All down the yeah. Wall. yeah. You and go and I turned around and one of my fraternity brothers just rolls out of the one of the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, what is going on? He's like, I don't even know. Oh. <laughs> and the girl I was He's like, why was are you throwing so up on this bush? <laughs> yeah. He like fell in the bushes and I like walked over him to get to where I was going to barf. And then I barfed and I turned around. He rolled out of the bush. And then the girl I was, was so mad because oh, I, bet. I got yeah. hammered at this bar. I was hammered on the bus. I thought I was going to barf on the that. bus. And then I was, I don't know. I don't even remember. I saw, <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was leaving a bar in New Jersey and it was Western New Jersey, right on the border of Pennsylvania. I was leaving a bar called the Jigger in Hackettstown, New Jersey. And I went around the corner cause I had, um, uh, I was waiting for a friend. So I went around the corner and they were supposed to come out in a minute. And I looked over and there were these two like 40 year old dudes who were, definitely very drunk and one was in the process of throwing up and one was sitting on the ground and looked like he had just fallen over and he reached up to grab his friend's hand and his friend reached down and they did the whole like buddy clasp hands and they pulled each other up towards each other and when they were both kind of like teetering seesawing against each other they both projectile vomited in each other's faces 
Oh my God. <laughs> but like they were at this balance point. And so they were holding each other, but they both threw on each other and then they let each other go and they both staggered backwards like 10 feet. Synergy. Yeah. Covered in each other's vomit. They staggered. One hit a dumpster. The other went in a bush. And <laughs> I was sitting there thinking, I will never witness something this amazing again in my entire life. I had had like one beer that entire night because I was having an argument with this girl. Oh my gosh. And I just watched the whole thing happen and I started laughing. And then they wanted to fight me. And so I ran. <laughs> Did they have tribal tattoos? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It was cold. So they were like completely covered up. Oh but like God. they both did the thing where like I started laughing and they looked at me like he's the enemy now. And so I just <laughs> ran like crazy. I could see it in their face. There's like 40 <laughs> faces just turn red. Their eyes like turn red and they're just like, yeah, that's the enemy. They're like, he's the reason we're covered in puke and falling in bushes. And <laughs> yeah. I was just like, I'm not waiting for this girl. I'm out of here. Oh my God. Oh uh, Yeah. New Jersey. Don't go there. Anyways, so yeah. back to Paul Dinach. Paul Amadeus Dinach. Paul Dinach. All right. So this is a crazy story. It's kind of a weird story that um, comes out of nowhere. Well, I think we heard from the intro. It's pretty weird. It is very weird. Yeah. Um, I like this story because it involves time travel and comas and weirdness and future. And so... I'm going to break down kind of the background of what happened to this guy. And then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some predictions he made. Okay. And then we're going to get into um, basically, can you have dreams while you're in a coma? What can you see while you're in a coma? What are your, what is happening to your brain while you're in a coma? Stuff like that. Okay. So I am here for it. Take me on our journey, Jake. We're going on a wild ride. So it's 1922 and Paul Dinoch has just snapped out of his year long coma and he's not happy about it at all. He gets up and then collapses because his tiny shriveled legs are now underused meat sticks, but overall he's pretty okay. No other health issues. So he leaves the hospital and that's when his entire personality changes from who he was before, according to his friends and family. Paul was an outspoken teacher who spent his time conversing with his students and doing the academic speeches thing. But after his coma, he became a complete recluse and didn't speak with anyone about his experiences during this coma. He refused to answer any questions about it and would get pissed if people brought it up. He locked himself away from everyone and started selling off all of his belongings and his land. Uh, he owned some land that was gifted to him by his mother who died while he was in a coma. He was also a little shaken up because his mom died while he was in a coma for a year. Sure. So she left him a bunch of land, sells it all off. He starts selling off all of his worldly goods. And basically his friends are talking him into calling the suicide hotline. And uh, during the day he started working. So this is a professor and he just turned around and he started working a manual labor job. And at night he was reading books and more specifically he was writing prolifically, like someone who was completely running out of time. And he was. Paul was just two years away from his own death, and he felt like he had to get some stuff down onto paper. And there was this weird thing where he kind of acted like he felt like he knew he was going to die soon, you know, with getting, getting together his papers, selling stuff. Meanwhile, he seen wandering around town and saying just basically batty shit to his former students and other people. He makes a few short-term predictions that all come true and then becomes a bit more of a recluse. Um, so he was basically sitting around. He was in Greece at this point where he was teaching 
And one of his students pointed out something about the Parthenon and he was saying, well, this will change soon. And then, you know, World War One happened and things changed. And so basically what he was saying came true quickly. So what happened to Paul during his coma? If you haven't guessed by now, his mind astral projected more than 2000 years into the future where he woke up inside the body of Andreas Northman, a resident of the year 3906. We get all this information from his personal writings that he did after that second coma. Between the coma and his death in 1924, Paul wrote all of it down. After he passed, the writings were handed over to his favorite student, Georgios Papachatsis, who promptly shoved them into the back of his closet and didn't give a shit about them for about 50 years. In his writings, he talks about how on day one of his coma, Paul awoke in a bizarre hospital room and feels like he is in enormous pain. Just his body is wrecked. He writes that what he sees is indescribable. Literally, he has no idea how to describe it. His 1924 caveman brain does not know how to process what he is seeing around him. He's in the hospital for two weeks and slowly regains the ability to walk, but everything around him is just completely bonkers. He knows how it's weird coming out of a coma because he had been in a coma before, but this is completely different. When he finally gets access to a mirror, he's quite shocked to look and see that it's not himself looking back. Paul completely freaks out and the hospital staff lock him down in response. And there are these two doctors that come and talk to him, but he can't communicate with them at all because they don't speak the same language. Now keep in mind that Paul is a language instructor. That's his trade. So he knows how most languages in the area sound and he can't place this one at all. They let him walk around some more, but he doesn't know what he's seeing at all. Their rooms made of what looks like crystal and weird light projections. Basically, he thinks he's died and gone to heaven. After a few more weeks, he realizes he's in the body of some poor guy who died in an awful accident, but his body was saved by the doctors when they froze his brain or done some future medicinal magic or whatever it is. But it was clear some mix-up in the universe happened, and now Paul is stuck in that body. When you read the book, Paul goes into great depth about this whole Logan's Run type society where everything is perfect, minus the whole dying at 30 thing, and everyone is healthy. One of the doctors gives him the 3906 year version of an iPad, and he learns all about the last 2000 years, which we'll go into all those predictions a little bit later. Back at the hospital, Paul is healed and the doctors are figuring out what to do with him because they figured out that he's obviously not Andreas Northman. They decide that he'll have to go to the quote-unquote Valley of the Roses to learn his fate, and they introduce him to Andreas's best friend, Stefan. They hit it off, and he goes off into the world of 3906, where he moves in with Stefan, and they all hang out. After a week, Paul realizes that no one works at all. All they do is take walks and talk about philosophy, go on vacations, and basically do stuff rich kids do. So Paul assumes he's just buddies with a bunch of these rich kids. But no, no one works at all, literally, in this world. They have a program where people go to school until they're 17 years old. Then they work in a gigantic city from 17 to 19. He describes all this crazy futuristic stuff like movies, jumbotrons, and all this stuff we have now, but obviously way cooler. And it's even more bizarre because this dude came from 1924. So we didn't even have talkie movies back then. Yeah. So they talk about how the system is all because there was this basically giant World War III and the entire planet was on the edge of destruction. 
Almost everyone dies. So they decided not to do that ever again. The population is way smaller, less than a billion people. Now we're close to 8 billion people. And because now resources are way more available, they're more easily shared and people don't need to work as much as they used to, except for that two years in the pickle mines or whatever the hell they're doing, uh, which he basically glosses over in his writings. Then this book that he wrote devolves into this whole thing about transcendental love and spirituality and the friends we met along the way, which makes me really think the whole thing might be conveniently written into a package with a lesson. Uh, in the coma utopia place, he blacks out and suddenly wakes up again and he's back in 1924. After he wakes up uh, about, a, about a year and a half later after he writes everything, Paul drops dead and he gives all of his diaries to Georgios Giorgio says that he showed the diary to a few people, and one of them was a Freemason. The Freemasons got all upset and were very worried that the quote-unquote knowledge of the future would fall into the wrong hands. So they work hard to keep Giorgios from publishing the book. Like These guys are like actively harassing Giorgios, going after him, making sure he doesn't publish these things. They're trying to like take the books away from him, and it works because it basically stays unpublished for more than 50 years. In 1972, Georgios publishes his diary for the public, but instantly the Greek Orthodox Church, of all people, condemned the book as heresy. The next year, Greece starts falling apart due to political battles, and the first edition of the book is entirely destroyed by the church. Six years later, Georgios publishes it again with the title of Valley of the Roses, and the book becomes this super forgettable thing that happened and kind of vanishes off the radar. Until 20 years later, it's rediscovered by some people and translated to English where it becomes a little bit of a story people fall in love with in some conspiracy circles and where people are talking about time travel stories. So I think we should talk about the actual fun stuff, which are the predictions and what he wrote down. Okay. Since he's coming from 1924 into, you know, 3906, let's start early. Uh, One of the first things he wrote about was the year 2000, 20 years ago until 2300 and what he essentially said was that humans are not doing so great everything's crowded everything's hot everything's gross there's overpopulation ecological destruction economic inequalities broken monetary systems complete starvation plagues and localized warfare which i mean yeah that's what it looks like now i mean that seems like us right like pretty (laughs) much check all those boxes yeah And so he says that was basically how we live from 2000 to 2200. So sorry, people listening in 2020, we've got a little bit more time on that. In 2204, the futuristic version of the UN, which he doesn't name, established a large colony on Mars made up of 20 million people. But in 2265, just 60 years after the colonies established, some sort of Martian natural phenomenon happens and it kills all 20 million people, even Matt Damon. And humanity decides Earth is just fine with that and we decide we will never leave the planet again. So we just basically abandoned space travel. In 2309, a gigantic war breaks out uh, basically World War III, but probably much bigger, like World War V at this point, if it's 300 years from now. And a massive nuclear war kills off almost the entire third world and a good chunk of the first. By 2396, after the massive war, a global parliament is established. 
It's not made up of politicians, but of all the quote unquote smart folks. Money ceases to exist and resources are fairly distributed. It seems it's super easy to solve the world's problems if you just nuke the entire third world and everybody lives off what's left. So another twist is in 2396, they decide that the entire world should start over again at one, year one. So it turns out, plot twist, our friend Paul was actually in 3568, not 3906, or something along those lines. I'm not a math cop. I don't know exactly how that works. Uh, But back in 2396, it sucks really bad. This global parliament is becoming a completely tyrannical piece of shit government and is making everyone slaves in those pickle mines. And this goes on for thousands of years until suddenly in 3382, humanity suddenly develops superpowers. They get something called hypervision, which connects them to the great spiritual light. And this mutates their brain and makes them super creative, which leads to the golden era. And the golden era is essentially 3400 to 3906, which 3906 is where Paul wakes up in the body of Andreas Northman. And the dark ages are all over and everything is awesome now. And there's no money, no debt. Everything is 100% free. There's also no private property. No guns exist. People basically don't have hammers. And society is now led by universal creators, which are elders that are a mix of philosopher, artist, scientist, and mystic all at once. What do you think about that? What? (laughs) (laughs) Does that sound like a good place to live? I mean... There's a part of me that wants to say no because I like the life that I live, but right. there's a part of me that's like, and y'all might hate me for saying this, <laughs> but you know, we're human. We all think weird, fucked up things. Yeah. It'd be a lot easier if there was not 8 billion people. Yeah. On the yeah. planet. I mean, uh, you know, the Georgia Guidestones say keep it under 500 million. What? The Georgia Guidestone. So there's these like, there's this gigantic uh, monument in Georgia that was built by this really mysterious organization. Okay. And it has like the 10 commandments for the future of humankind. And one of them is keep the population under 500 million. So resources aren't bad or don't go bad or. Right. So, yeah. I mean, if there was less people, yeah, it'd be a lot easier, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So basically. So, yeah, I mean, it's, true and i mean if everybody on the planet was like hey we're on board and everything's cool and we just work two years and have our fun you know doesn't sound too horrible right yeah yeah i guess so yeah Yeah, i mean it's like bonkers but at the same time it's not like this timeline doesn't make sense right yeah and i kind of agree with that like i think you can kind of see like there's a world war three or five or whatever. And everybody gets blown up with nuclear bombs. Like, yeah. And I mean, having some world government say, Oh, we're just going to restart the clock again. Yeah. I could absolutely see that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, we've already done it once. Right. Yeah. Like it's not un, you know, conceivable, inconceivable that, you know, at some point we won't do it again. And instead of being in year 5,000, they'll be like, well, I mean, we decided to restart the clock in year, you know, 2900. Yeah. Or whatever, you know? Yeah. Stick a pin in this for later. We'll do the phantom time hypothesis story later where basically it was like the 13 to the 1500s didn't exist. They just compressed it. 
Ooh. Yeah, we'll talk. It's actually a really cool story. Okay. But yeah, so I mean, if everybody is kind of on board for this, it basically means that there's no real need for these laws because everybody's just going to be nice to each other and they use the three seashells properly and it's not a big problem, you know? Yeah. So the only laws in this like future utopia that are enforced in this timeline are these three. That one, you have to work from 17 to 19. Two, don't take too much of the free stuff because it's for everyone and we have to share, Karen. And three, the population can't grow above 1 billion no matter what. Those are the only three laws they have in this like future utopia. There's no like, don't touch my butt, don't steal my car. Like none of it's needed because everybody respects each other, I guess. 99% of the laws we have now, they don't need because guess what? They're not dipshits to yeah, each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's, yeah, it's always the question of like, who had to die to put this thing on the back of this like warning label, you know? Right. So, I mean, is it true? I mean, like what, what do you think about that? Like could, did this guy fall asleep and wake up in somebody's body 2,000, 3,000 years later? And what does that mean for anything? Can people you know, transfer their mind in the future? Can these glitches in the matrix happen and brains mix up? What are you thinking? Do you want my real answer? Yes, 100%. This is entirely true. You think so? Yeah. Okay. I can get on board with that. I mean, I don't think it's it's 100% false. Yeah. Well, and here's the reason I think it's true is... There's this theory, essentially, that is one of those theories that if I think too much on it, it causes Uh-oh. me anxiety. Okay. But I love it because there's no way to disprove it. Right. And that's how I feel about this theory, these stories this guy wrote. Right. Right. If he was right about a number of short-term projections that he made, and there's no way for us to disprove anything that he's saying because... I will have been dead. Of course. 1900 years or more. Yeah. Right. Many, many more, but yes. Before this happens. Yeah. There is no way for us to know that this is not true. It could entirely be true and there's no way for us to either prove it or disprove it. And the thing that makes me think about that is I took this class in college and It was a class about perception, the science of perception. Okay. What is perception? How does it work? And all this stuff. And if you really boil the science of perception down, everything that we see and feel and understand and think, they're just electrical impulses in our brains. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Which means that... Anything is possible. Yeah. Anything could be real or not real. And then it's like that philosophical question, what is real? What does real mean? And all of this big stuff, if you think way too hard on it, you're going to have an anxiety attack. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? And, you know, and that's why to me, it's like, you know, if you layer that on top of this idea that just because you have not seen it or not experienced it does not mean it can't be real. 
Yes. Yeah. Is one of those things that it creates that like sense of wonder, but also sense of dread. Right. About yeah. life. 100%. You know what I mean? And so I believe, you know, I, there's this like underlying thought in my head. It's like any insane thing anybody could said could totally sure. be real because what you are thinking and experiencing is only electrical impulses in your brain. Are you saying it's real to him because he experienced it in a dreamlike state and that's why it's real? Or are you saying it's real because you think his essence transferred into a person who lived in the year 3906? Both. Both. Okay. Yeah, I can get yeah, on board that. Both. Okay. No, entirely, completely true in both ways. Okay. I'm going to refute and disprove both of those. Really? Yes. How? Maybe not 100% disprove, but I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to get both. I feel like I'm going to disagree with you. You can, but you'll be wrong. <laughs> Are you sure? Per usual. No. Uh, it's, okay. Okay. So, uh first question, is it true did his brain uh disincorporate from his soul and transfer to the to the brain sack of someone in 3906? So, did he do that? I'm going to say no on that one because First of all, there's a man that we all know and love named John Teeter, who is a very famous time traveler who sent faxes to Art Bell's Coast to Coast uh, during the late 90s. Okay. One of the things that he said was that any person who talks about time travel, specifically going after the year 2564, is a liar. And the reason he says that's true is because he is a military time traveler from the year 2036 who went to the past in search of this outdated IBM computer so he could fix some issues that he was having. Okay. And he said his military team, which was supported by Boeing, sent him forward into the future and he was not able to go any further than 2564. Anything after that the people would emerge in a gigantic blackness and there was nothing. So you're saying this dude's wrong because <laughs> Art Bell is right. No, no, not Art Bell. The guy who called, he didn't even call Art Bell. He faxed Art Bell. Oh my God. Um, all right. Sorry. I lost it on that one. All right. So you're saying <laughs> this homie's wrong because this other homie from the 90s yes. is right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. And we're going to do a whole episode on John Teeter because this dude okay. is my favorite. He is amazing. He predicted a lot of crazy shit even up until 2020. He predicted the Olympics weren't going to happen in 2020 because of a plague. All right. So Paul Dinock is wrong because John Teeter was more right. Correct. That's okay. what I think. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, do you want do you want number two? Why it couldn't have been a dream state? Yes. All right. Give it to me. All right. We're gonna get into this one a little bit. This is gonna take a few minutes. All right. All right. So, do people in comas dream? Is that a thing? I would say yes. You think so? Yeah. No, you're wrong again. That's just <laughs> what your stupid medical machines are telling you. But that doesn't mean that it's not. This is true. science facts. These this are science <laughs> facts. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, I mean, okay. It is very, very common for comatose patients to wake up from their coma and have all kinds of crazy memories, dreams, all of these things. And a lot of times these coma patients will have memories of people, places, and events that 
just didn't exist. So like a person can drop into a coma and then give detailed, vivid descriptions of going to a dinner party that they didn't go to a year after they went into a coma. Like this isn't an unusual thing. It kind of happens. And so are they dreams? What's going on in your coma? I mean, you know, what is happening while you're in there? And so before we have to, before we can get into that, let's actually just take a second and define these two things. Like what is a coma? A coma is essentially a prolonged state of unconsciousness during which the affected patient is generally unresponsive to his or her environment. While that person may appear dead, they're very much alive. And there's a couple reasons why you wind up in a coma. You know, things like head trauma, brain swelling, bleeding in the brain, stroke, oxygen deprivation, and, uh, and on and on. Most of the causes of coma stem from the uh, brain or brain-related issues, but they aren't only natural causes. Doctors can medically induce a coma, and they usually do this to give your brain or body time to heal from something awful like a, you, know, you flip your truck or something, you know, something bad. Yeah. Depending on the nature and the severity of the injury, comas can last from a few days to a few weeks and sometimes even for years. The longest coma that uh, basically anyone ever woke up from was a woman in the Emirates Republic that was in a car crash and she laid in a coma for 30 years and she suddenly woke up because she heard her son in the room arguing with the nurse about a feeding tube or something. And suddenly it was the first time that there had ever been like raised voices in the room. And suddenly she heard her son arguing and she just woke up and she was fine. She basically was okay. You know, she, uh, she had mobility issues obviously cause she's been laying in bed for 30 years. Right. Um, but other than that, she was, she was fine. She just kind of like picked up where she left off and went about her life. So then the second part of that, what are dreams? So dreams are essentially figments of your imagination that run wild while you sleep. And that's what the common understanding that we know it of as. But what does the science say? So according to Scientific American, dreams seem to help us process emotions by encoding and constructing memories of them. And so speaking of encoding and constructing memories, there is scientific evidence that supports that images in our dreams can be real. There was debate over whether we feel our dreams or... Uh, whether we see our dreams. And so with the use of uh, MRIs, scientists were able to correlate dreams with waking thoughts. So essentially, your brain understands exactly what's happening in a dream because it processes the same way as if it's seeing it in normal life. So when you fall asleep and you have a dream that some dude's chasing you and you can't punch him, like you're like, oh, your hand doesn't work. Yeah. Your body is actually experiencing those same mental things and is experiencing it as the same way as if that was happening in real life. That's why it's so scary. That's why you wake up sweating, you know? Yeah. So scientists captured patients' brain activities when looking at objects. They then compared these to their brain activities while sleeping, and it was basically the same. So your brain projects images into your thoughts while you sleep. The whole brain is working while we dream, and different parts of it are responsible for varying functions. Cortex is responsible for context. Amygdala handles the feelings of fear, et cetera, and they match their standard functions when awake. So what about the coma? Comas happen because of the interference between the brainstem and the cerebrum. When you're in a coma, your brain does not exhibit any signs of consciousness whatsoever. In turn, your brain loses all sense of circadian rhythms and cycles. Circadian cycles are an internal process that regulates your sleep-wake cycle in our bodies. There's no middle ground between consciousness and unconsciousness in your brain. 
So losing the sense means that dreams just cannot occur. Therefore, it should be highly doubtful that a person experiences any dreams while in a coma because the brain just doesn't work in that process. But some people do have accounts of having strange dreams or memories post-coma. Some say that's the way the brain interprets the different stimuli around it. Scientists, however, have not yet fully grasped the process of going from unconscious to awake. There's also much they don't know yet about the unconscious brain. There's a lot of debate right now that if you're in a coma and you're having this kind of dream state of what's happening around you, a lot of scientists right now are speculating that what you're experiencing is the nurses moving around you and your brain builds a story around that to try to make an understanding. So like when you look at the, the wiggle image and it's a sailboat, like your brain puts it together as a sailboat. So what's happening when you're in a coma, the nurses are moving around their sounds. Your brain interprets it as something you would see. So, you know, Paul was a linguistics expert and of, you know, a philosophy expert. So maybe he put together this whole story in his head over a year of, you know, the stuff he studied, what he thought and looked at it as, you know, unfolding in a way that he could understand. And so he saw this crazy, weird spirituality stuff of the future or I don't know, you know, whatever that could be. So basically until scientists have a better understanding of what is happening in your brain during dreams and comas, we're just going to have to assume that Paul went thousands of years in the future in his head. That's what I'm saying. But we can't assume that because John Teeter said after the year what was it? 20, 25 something. 25 something. 2564. It's all gone. Yeah, but maybe John Teeter's just a crazy dude who did crack. I mean, that's possible. But that yeah. is one possible answer. Yeah. Because he, he, here's what I keep thinking the whole time we're talking about this. And this is part of what is bonkers about the way our brains yeah. work and how, how perception and experience works. I could be in a coma right now you could yeah you could be a dream i could be i you know what i mean and that's one of those things that's weird i could be making this podcast but i could not actually be making this podcast you could be in my brain everything that's happening could just be in my brain yeah there could be nobody out there actually listening to this it's possible right or you could be listening to this podcast but really you're in a coma it's true. Like this shit is bonkers. And that's the thing like <laughs> that about me when I think about stuff like this, or I think about like the matrix and shit like that, that is just so mind bending to yeah. me is the only reason that I am not a complete insane person right now is because I have this level of trust that what my brain is telling me I'm experiencing is real, but your brain's a fucking liar too. Like, that's a hundred percent true. It your tells brain me all remember. kinds of shit that's not true. Yeah, your brain doesn't remember things right. It doesn't like put things in the right. It basically your brain kind of like decides what it thinks you should know and puts it in that order. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's like the way the eyes operate. Like your brain will basically look up ahead and it doesn't know if it's red light or green light. It just like senses an essence and then throws up a red light in your yeah. head and yeah. your brain and you get the signals. You know. And it does that so that we can, you know, hunt Mastodon or whatever the hell we're supposed to be doing. Right. Instead of podcasting, you know. Right. (laughs) So, yeah, it's really crazy. I mean, 
at the end of the day, I actually really, really love this like Paul Dinox story because I mean, part of me thinks there's a possibility that his brain floated off into the future and there was some weird cross wiring. And maybe this is some matrix shit that ties back into like the whole like uh, Mandela effect and weirdness and all these other things. And like, maybe there is something there. Maybe yeah. there is some weirdness. Um, but the other part of me really, really likes John Teeter. And I think that <laughs> he's a hundred percent correct that there's nothing beyond 2564. Yeah. And you know, I mean, it's possible. It's possible, but I, I really like this story. I think yeah. it's fun. I like I, I like it. I think it's fun. It's very mind-bending. It gets you, like, thinking. This is one of those ones where, I mean, the stuff that I've talked about is yeah. stuff that, I don't know, comes across my brain every once in a while. Yeah. And I try not to think too hard about it because when I do, I get anxiety. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it is one of those things where it's like I think about it and when I don't think too hard on it or really dive into it and get hyper-focused on it, it is right. so cool and it's so it fun is. to like it really is. think about and have these like thought experiments with myself about. But then again, it's one of those things where it's three o'clock in the morning and all of a sudden you're like, your eyes open suddenly <laughs> and you're like, what's face. going on? He just like did one of those like <laughs> eyes wake up, face looks surprised kind of. Like the first episode of Lost when Jack opens his eyes suddenly, you know, it's, it's yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it, it really gets down to the essence of what is our brain. Yeah. And on top of it, what is our existence? You know? Yeah. And there's this whole like spiritualistic aspect, right? That we yeah. haven't even talked about, right? There's religions out there that, you know, talk about incarnation. There's yeah. ones that basically there's like a source energy you go back yeah. to or something like that. There's ones where you die, you go to heaven or whatever. Yeah. And I like the ones where it's this idea of a source energy. Like and soul? That, like soul. The the new Disney Pixar movie thingy? You, oh, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, watch it. Like it yet, the opening is like you go into a gigantic light and you're like redistributed or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I haven't watched that yet, but I'm interested in it. Um, but yeah, there's like this idea that there's this like universal energy or whatever. Yeah. And there's a bunch of weird religions out there that yeah, think like, stuff. I've heard like, it called gluon where it's like this, the energy gluon. between nucleuses and things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've heard it called the source. I've yeah. heard it called the vortex. There's yeah. a bunch of weird stuff out there and there's a bunch of weird theories out there about it too. Like when you have a kid that person who becomes your kid is a soul from the source that chooses that body like there's like this, this big like ticker machine going on up there somewhere yeah. in the ether or whatever and somebody goes oh yep i want that one and they pick and then they come down and that's Oof, who you get wild. or whatever so the life that you're in is the life that you chose when you were in spirit form like there's all this stuff yeah. that this theory like that that movie there. soul goes into that stuff yeah but yeah you should watch it it's fun okay um and so like this one like you know when he went into his coma he could have astral projected his soul back into the source or whatever and yeah. then just sat up there for 2000 years and then yeah. been like oh here's a dead guy and for some reason he accidentally hit the wrong button or some shit instead of going yeah. back to his body he goes down to yeah. this dude and then somehow gets like teleported back I yeah. don't know goes backward through time through like freaky friday mystical 80s space movie energy swapped who in. knows yeah. I don't know yeah yeah it's wild I mean that's that's why I love it I think that's really I think it's a cool idea you know yeah, it's, this is some of that spacey shit that we talked about on the um, 
on the Shed Time podcast. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I was like, we're going to get into the spacey shit, and I can't wait because I <laughs> love this weird spacey shit. I think I think we should definitely do some more stuff about, like, Matrix and life energy. And I stuff. know. I, yeah, I want to do... It's a wild thing. The, like, reptilian overlords oh, and yeah. the, the minds, you know... Our digital minds exist in a space station and the frozen head stuff and the matrix yeah. stuff and the time traveling Jesus stuff. It's, like, it's all coming up. I love all that crap. It's so <laughs> it's fun all coming to me. up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, future episodes. So yeah. Make sure you tune in. Yeah. Well, what do you guys think? Do you think Paul Dinach was right? Or do you think John Teeter was right? And we'll ask this question again <laughs> when we do the John Teeter episode. But you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Patreon. We have an email address. We, do. we have a Discord server. We do. And you can come out there because we hang out on them and you can tell us what you think about Absolutely. this theory of Paul Dinoch. Was he right? Was he wrong? Did he astral project? Is he just a crazy guy? Who knows? Who knows? All of the above. Yeah. You can come tell us what you think and we will be happy to listen and debate you and maybe Jake will tell you that you're wrong. <laughs> I, I love doing that. So. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Uh, great episode and uh, we'll see you next week for some more fun. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Brew Luminati. Our intro and outro music is written by Dungeness. Want to learn more about the topics we cover and who we are? Join us on Facebook and Instagram at Brew Luminati Podcast for behind-the-scenes content and updates. Do you have mystical powers of insight or just questions, suggestions, and feedback? Reach out to us at thebrewluminati at gmail.com. Are you ready to immerse yourself into the inner circle? Visit patreon.com slash Podcast For the same price as a cup of coffee or sandwich you won't remember, you know, because of mind control, you can join the Brewluminati and lift the veil on the true mysteries of the universe. Your membership to the Conclave unlocks access to our secret Discord server, bonus Patreon-only content, behind-the-scenes talks, and much more. Every dollar spent not only helps us reveal the truths of the world, but also frees us to make the show better, weirder, and allows us to go deeper and deeper into the void while funding our next beer run. When we're not talking conspiracies and beer, we're passionate about saving the forgotten puppies and kitties of the world. 10% of every dollar you donate goes directly to the Best Friend Pet Adoption Agency. They are a local 501c3 all-breed, all-foster cat and dog rescue that will save the life of a pet who never had a chance. Keep an eye out because we'll be posting pictures of the lives our listeners save. For more information on Best Friend Pet Adoption, head over to bfpa.org. Join us again next week for another episode of Brew Luminati. We know you will because again, mind control is real. Thank you.